This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast and The Times. I'm Matt Chorley. This is part two in our four-part series on politics and comedy, speaking to the people who write jokes about politicians and for them. I'm delighted to be joined by comedian Andy Zaltzman, who way back under Gladstone, I think, started podcasting for The Times with a bugle uh, with John Oliver. Uh, we're also joined by uh, Tiff Stevenson, who you'll know from shows like People Just Do Nothing and Mock the Week, and is a creator of the brilliant Bridget Trump's Diary Twitter account. We'll talk about that in a minute. And we've also got The Times' very own Hugo Rifkin, who not only writes a weekly column and leaders of the paper, but also writes the My Week parody every week and is a regular on the Radio 4's News Quiz. Welcome to you all. Hello. Hello. And uh, welcome back to you, Andy. Yeah, it's a nice change around here. This is a completely different building, very disorientated. I remember when all this was fields. <laughs> <laughs> London Bridge. Well, it's nice to have you back. Now, let's. Um, so, uh, the reason we're talking about this is is uh, the original conception of this was last year at a time when post Brexit and Donald Trump we were very anxious and was all of this too serious. Uh, to be funny about it feels like Donald Trump has answered that question and actually <laughs> uh, no things are he, he's perfectly mockable but um, I'll start with you Andy how do you approach talking about politics and comedy well I th- I mean firstly it has to be funny so um, <laughs> I mean that sound, might sound like yeah I mean that is a rule number one of political comedy I think it needs to be funny above all else and then you know if you've got any message you're trying to uh, preach to your um, almost certainly converted audience that comes second um, with Brexit and Trump because so many people are doing comedy about it both through uh, what you might call uh, mainstream or high profile comedy and just random stuff on the internet you know there's 7 billion people cracking jokes about Trump it, the challenge is to find an original, distinctive angle, um, which can be quite quite difficult given the sheer volume of mm-hmm. stuff generated by and about Trump. Yeah. And Tiff, is the motivation of doing comedy about politics because you, you're just interested in it and so that's what you want to make jokes about? Or is it about sort of changing people's opinions or making a point? What's more important? Is it the jokes or the making the point? Um, the jokes are always important. Andy's right. It has to be funny first and foremost, but I sort of work from my gut. A lot of my stuff sort of comes from anger or perceived injustice, 
especially with Trump as a woman. I'm not saying it's worse, but oh, I, I am. I think it is worse. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am. Actually, I am saying it's worse. I think so. I, I think... Well, I've not tried him as a woman, but I'm mean, quite bad as a man, but it seems to be worse. <laughs> He's the worst woman you could ever imagine. Right. Yeah, so I think... So from, from my point of view, I mean... I've always sort of done a mix of social, sort of uh, socio-political, personal and, you know, and I guess politics has come to the fore more in the last couple of years because we're we're living in a strange time where, you know, subtlety and nuance has gone out of debate and conversation and and I, I think at this point the sort of left are almost as bad as the right um, for the inability to be able to have like a nuanced, detailed sort of debate. So you're sort of left in the middle going, guys, seriously, can we just, you know... Um, so so I, I, I in in terms of preaching to the converted and stuff I quite like when people who disagree with me politically come along to shows. I've had a couple of tour shows recently where someone sort of tweeted me afterwards saying politically we're not aligned at all but I really enjoyed the show. And I guess that's the point is that we can kind of put each other's side across and and have an interesting debate but at the moment it just seems to be whoever's screaming the loudest like Piers Morgan getting owned on Bill Mayer's show and I was like well he, he didn't he got he basically got told to f- off by Jim Jeffries you know which I don't think he's owning someone I think if you're going to own someone you need to pull apart their ideology and challenge what they're saying you and, don't want to own Piers Morgan either I bet you want to rent him no do we do you want to do you even want to do that not sure yeah uh, at least least Piers Morgan um so yeah so I, I I'm so, I'm sort of coming at it really from a place of frustration I feel like as as a woman you know we're sort of fighting to gain equality in all of these areas and then someone who is the pinnacle of sort of misogyny i was i was in america and i was sort of mocking them about trump and then i felt bad because i was like well we you know brexit happened and it's like america looked at that and went we can supersize that <laughs> or just, uh you know so uh, uh, yeah i i come at it from from the gut i do think there is a point in doing it i do think if you can try and make people think a bit differently although that's not the first aim of comedy it is laughter but i do like to challenge people i don't want people to come along to my shows and agree with everything i want them to be challenged i want them to think about things in a different way and uh yeah so i think that comedy is good for pricking the bubble of the powerful and we know how much donald trump hates being mocked which kind of is encouraging to think that you should do it more and more hugo you've written in the times recently about how you were a fan of satire but you weren't convinced that you know people shouldn't get carried away and thinking it changes anything i think there's a sort of there's a complacency that sets in when everyone you know is laughing at somebody for being an idiot and you think well that's just obvious this this one's settled but i mean trump look trump's interesting trump's really really difficult to parody i'm sort of i'm not sure if i can say this in a non-dodgy way so you might need to take it out but there's this there's this theory in religious islam right that the quran itself is a miracle because nobody can write like the quran is written and trump's speech patterns are a bit (laughs) like that and when you try and copy them it's really difficult to do and it's really difficult to do with the economy of language that he uses and you find yourself rabbiting on not really having space to put the joke and it's really really hard to do the point of satire and where it differs from comedy i think is that it does need to have a point it has to have a bite it has to change minds it has to some in some sort of way perhaps say the unsayable hiding behind comedy to say the unsayable that's really really difficult to do with trump because for him nothing is unsayable there is almost no there are almost no words you can put into his mouth that you can't imagine him saying um and um and that people will believe and will agree with. Trump. Trump's difficult to parody for the same reason that 
for the same reason that he thrives on alternative facts and fake news. In a way, com- comedy is alternative fact. You know, comedy is, is, is pretending someone said something that they haven't in order to laugh at them. And when you do this with Trump, people just believe you. I mean, when I, 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 wrote, I wrote this big piece about, about fake news at the weekend, and one of the major sources of fake news infecting the internet is satire that people don't get, because almost nothing you write about American <laughs> politics these days is unbelievable. And I, I can't remember who it was. It wasn't Donald Trump, but somebody that you wrote in your My Week column, yeah. was imagining the week's diary of somebody being in the news that week. Uh, this a was, proper politician actually thought it was genuine. Was, I did. I did Zach Goldsmith's diary, and uh, and no, John Snow. That's right. Was, John, John Snow. Snow thought it was genuine. I mean, this this has happened. This has <laughs> happened before. Uh, like um, I did uh, years ago. I did one of Jerry Halliwell, which ended up in in Sood's Corner in Private Eye from the mouth of Jerry Halliwell, which I felt quite bad. <laughs> but that's um, again, that's that's tricky because on one level, well, that's brilliant satire because it fooled it fooled a journalist. But then, is it satire? Does that mean? Does that just mean it wasn't funny enough? Does that mean I was just lying <laughs> instead of joking? You know, I'm you not just sure. wrote a sort of convincing Zach Goldsmith yeah. script. Uh, the Onion headlines and sort of Breitbart <laughs> sort of headlines sort of collide into yeah. these and you can't tell what's real anymore. I saw a story yesterday in, I think it was Orlando Weekly, and I was like, is that a real publication about a woman <laughs> saying, if we have, like, mixed-gender toilets, I'm taking my gun in as my bodyguard? And I was like, no one said that in real life. <laughs> like, that cannot possibly be true. But it can. And, and, and it was. <laughs> yeah. It can and, and, and it will be. So you, you do kind of... You do get to a point, having done two shows where Trump featured sort of quite heavily in them, that you get to a point of going, okay, I'm running out of ways to satirise him. And that's why I sort of created Bridget Trump. So let's talk about this. This is Bridget Trump's diary. Yeah. Which is a Twitter account that you do. Yeah. And it's things that Donald Trump would have said, but in the style of Bridget Jones. Yeah, Bridget (laughs) Bridget Trump is sort of... I think it was at the beginning of this year I was looking at his tweets and it was pre-inauguration... And one of them said, going to meet with Condé Nast and Anna Winter in the AM, V excited. And I was like, <laughs> this is less presidential and more just like Bridget Jones. Mm-hmm. And he tweets like a 32-year-old Sado Singleton in London. Uh, and then I just experimented with a couple. And it's, again, this is the thing about it. It's remarkable how little you have to change, you know. In in the Bridget Trump universe, um, I don't bring any of the family because I talk about his wife, in my stand-up, but I don't bring any of the family and he is very much exist. All of his love interests and, and friends are political ones. So you've got Putin as the Daniel Cleaver character and then Nigel Farage as Mark Darcy. So this is one. Nigel, who likes me, quotes just the way I am, came for dinner last night. I ordered blue soup and we played footsie under the table. <laughs> I'm sex goddess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which um, <laughs> is a horrible mental image between... Uh, well, they they love they love Shelby words. Posh. They love an exclamation point, and they love words mm-hmm. like huge, huge. But it is huge, he, he, sadder, he, sadder, he, the way he wild. speaks, but particularly the way he tweets, is sort of teenage girl's diary. Yeah, and I think that's where the original. I went back through my timeline on Twitter, and it was a couple of years ago. I was like, maybe they'll like me now if I dye my skin orange. Maybe they'll like me if I change my hair. And I <laughs> I sort of done that. Was obviously the genesis of the idea. But yeah, I mean, and but the good thing about doing this is it means that you can tweet within the world of it so you know when he was at is it mar-a-lago <laughs> which is you know we, again you're kind of going oh that's where he's is it, it's normally camp david camp david yeah where where those kind of meetings would take place where he's now just mm-hmm. going let's just throw some money into my tourism 
business. But I, I was able to say, have gone away on official full-blown mini break with Japanese sex god. Well, that <laughs> you was, know, like, that dinner when he had the Japanese prime minister was like a scene from a not very good sitcom where they took they, where he was having sort of security briefings while hapless waiters bumbled around in the background carrying soup. Yeah, and people took photos and. You know, this, I mean, this, see, this is exactly it. This, the, the way you'd the way you'd mock somebody like Trump is you'd go, right? He's a uh, he's he's pretending to be president, but he's devoted to his business interests. So the sort of thing you'd and you can't quite. I just did just say that, but you could be you could be you could you can't quite allege that sort of openly. So you'd write some satirical thing where he's got the Japanese prime minister with him and he conducts a business meeting in front of paying guests at his own hotel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, with hilarious consequences. Yeah. I want him to become the first president to declare war whilst going down a water slide. <laughs> <laughs> Which he owns. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I wanna, I've started calling him Impeachy Keen. <laughs> As um, I'm hoping it will happen. So what about the Alec Baldwin in, impression of him? Because it's sort of... There's this theory that Donald Trump is, you know, he, he promised to uh, boost old American industries and he certainly boosted Saturday Night Live and Alec Baldwin's impression of him. Um, that's still, is there a point where that will stop being funny because it's, uh, you're trying to send up the unsend upable? Is it still a, um, is it still working? Whether it's, I mean, it's clearly, I think Trump's going to remain absurd for <laughs> as long as. He's both alive and dead, so that's basically forever. Um, Schrodinger's um, (laughs) (laughs) So I guess there will always be a market for people who want to see that lampooned. Uh, I mean, I guess longer term, the the more serious stuff and the stuff that I guess, you know, satirical comedy will want to address is what he's actually doing rather than just the things he's saying the, the way he says bit, them. So, so, it, so it moves beyond, beyond the sort of George W. Bush mocking of just he's a bit thick and he says dopey things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and then at that, you know, you have, then you have more journalistic satire. Um, like, yeah, there's a lot of in America with the, you know, the Daily Show and, and John Oliver Show and other stuff. So, um, I mean, clearly that people love that. I mean, also Trump is going to remain divisive so there's always going to be a massive number of people who just like to see his idiocy uh, played out and, and, yeah, yeah, and lampooned. Uh, so um, I think there's always going to be a market for uh, Trump caricature. I do like the idea of women doing it as well. I love yeah. Melissa McCarthy's sort of Sean Spicer was, yeah, yeah. was great. And I think that is quite, because Alec Baldwin's is brilliant, but it's quite sort of spot on and obviously infuriates Trump. But he, I think he was more infuriated by the idea that Sean Spicer could be played by a woman. I think Bridget Trump would be, like it would be, this is really insulting to me because I'm such a I'd like a, mus- a Muslim Trump. Is that, is that, is that, <laughs> yeah. They were going to get Rosie O'Donnell to do it, weren't right. they, which would be... But I mean, the, yeah. that's, that's like the, the holy grail of this kind of sort of political satire, when you want it to draw blood, is that you, you, you create a portrayal of someone or a, an image of someone that doesn't just make the people who already want to laugh at them laugh, but also gets into, like a worm, gets into the minds of even his supporters. Yeah, yeah. So like Mel- Melissa McCarthy's, um, uh, uh, what's his name, Sean, Sean Spicer, Spicer. It, it's done that. It has, it has replaced him. You can't him. watch it. You now can't look at him without seeing that. It's sort of that. amazing that you know. um, an American actress doing an impression of the very newly appointed White House spokesman mm. has become a sort of global yep. phenomenon. And now people, to the point that 
people in the UK as well as in America now can't look at the real Sean Spicer exactly. without thinking at any moment his podium is going <laughs> to yeah. start, moving. start moving across the room. I mean, people did it. People did it with well in this country anyway. People did it with uh, you know Bremner did it with Blair pretty much. You couldn't watch Blair without hearing Bremner. Um, uh, what's his name? The guy in Dead Ringers did 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 it with Bush. John Coulson. John Coulson yeah. did it with an ex- up to an extent with 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 Bush. So it it sort of it can be done. But you're right for it to happen this quickly and this globally is. Um, I think because it, it has to go beyond an impression. Yeah. It can't just be like the 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 writing under, nothing, underpinning mm, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like you, know, I'm not saying it's easy to do voices. You know, but but like. To actually do an accurate impression is different to saying something yeah. or writing truly original. And that was why I think the Sean Spicer thing landed so much because it took the ridiculousness of him and just played it up, explaining it with the toys, the se- the, the Segway podium, yeah. you know, of just like kind of amping it up and the huge packet of Orbit mm-hmm. cinnamon chewing gum. And, that, and that's all real stuff, you know, but just heightened. Just, he, he goes yeah, yeah. through like, what, 10 packets a day or something? He's spoken to he, his doctor. He's doctor and he can swallow it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what about then, because we've talked a lot about Trump, I think partly because it's such a massive, colourful comedy jamboree, while in the UK we've got Theresa May. Mm. Are there jokes to be had as yeah. a comedian yes. with Theresa May? Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, Okay, well, so, so, so what, I, what, I mean, I, um, what I love with my... Uh, well, particularly with, when, I, when I write my My Week column and I look at the Conservatives... What I like doing, in a way, it's the most it's the most journalistic that column ever is because I speak to my political reporting colleagues, and the things they tell me that aren't quite getting written about, not not for any particular dark reason, just because they're not quite the story yet. I try and put in. So I put in things about the way her chiefs of staff are known to bully everybody. I put in things about the tensions in the cabinet that are known to be in there between Philip Hammond and her and Liam Fox and people. And you try and really draw them out, so you are. It, 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 explaining is is wrong, but presenting a, a plausible dynamic and of people what the are situation learning, people learn is. something about what's really going on. That's underneath. the hope. Yeah, it's yeah. not just it's not just a laugh. Yeah. It should be you know it should be funny, but it should be more than funny. Is oh, comedy in There is, and I think there's a lot of. I mean, there was parallels in the election, in sort of um, I guess in the coverage. I, I a lot of the stuff that I talk about within UK politics is how women are spoken about in the coverage female politicians versus male politicians and it you know it happens in American politics as well but I mean even here like I think it was like six weeks before the election Grazia ran a headline going does Hillary need to up her fashion game I was like maybe her email password game I, I, I literally couldn't believe that I was reading this I was like is this still the conversation so you know that's the kind of stuff I like to unpick I like to look at how stuff is being covered and then go oh look at this and going okay fine if we're going to continue with this line of like making it wound bothering female politicians as well you know to the point that Nicola Sturgeon has to come out and go I had a miscarriage mm. like leave me alone it's not it's about my ability to do the job so that, that was such a big issue that that actually decided who the Prime Minister was it was Andrea Leadsom yeah. yes in yeah. an interview with the Times well, talking about yeah. uh, well, having t- children t- Theresa May and her are sort of on opposite sides of the you know there's you don't have a real st- stake in the future of the UK and then Theresa May sort of campaigning to lower abortion limits you know it's like they're both wound botherers in different ways. One is kind of like restricting your reproductive rights and the other is kind of going, well, you're not as good a woman if you don't have children. And so those are the kind of, you can kind of get into the feminism of it. You know, in my show, I sort of, uh, I defend Theresa May as a woman (laughs) and her coverage, but I disagree with her policies. And I'm like, you know, and the reason I can do that is because I don't have to agree with everything every woman 
has ever said you know yeah, yeah. that's not what feminism is everyone yeah. knows it's hating men and we, <laughs> but, but, but those are the sort of things there's, there's, there's so much to tuck into there's so much I mean there's so much classism within our politics that I feel is not necessarily the same in, in America and then characters like Philip Davis I mean you have to he's almost unbelievable um He's like, a, so Philip Davis is a toy backbench MP who's makes it his sort of personal mission to talk out backbench laws. Filibustering. He, he thinks it know. should be an International Men's Day. He does sound like as a character that... There is an International Men's Day. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's every day. There is, it's every day, yeah. <laughs> no, no, there, there is one no, there as is, well. There is, there is one. one. Yeah, there yeah. is one, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. he is like, almost like a character out of like Viz magazine. Is it Sid the Sexist? They used to have Viz magazine. He's literally like... Sid the Sexist MP. Yeah. <laughs> He's so ridiculous. And, and I know that like kind of Jess Phillips sort of gets into it with him and... Uh, the other day I was saying we should have a sitcom um, we'll call it uh, Two and a Half Meninists and it would be him and Piers Morgan and maybe someone like Mel Gibson like all sharing a flat together you know I could see that as a sketch maybe I should just write the sketch but I could see that as a spoofy you know I could see that as a documentary (laughs) (laughs) but yeah there's plenty to there's plenty to get angry about and there's plenty to you know especially with all the women's rights stuff in America at the moment with all the repeal the eighth stuff that's going on here like people don't realise that this is happening on our own doorstep there's women that still don't have access to safe you know sort of uh you know abortions and terminations so that there's a there's a lot there's a lot to be said and almost i i'm almost trying to move away from brexit i guess because of the easy divisive kind of arguments that people make around it but getting into other sort of bits of legislation life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. And Andy, um, Jeremy Corbyn, is it still okay to make jokes about him or is that just like kicking a puppy? Uh, um, well, um, I mean, so, you know, uh, I, depend, I guess it depends on your view of, of uh, dog welfare. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's clearly always... You know, anyone in a position of power is a suitable target for. But we're uh, talking about but, Jeremy Corbyn, well, the yeah, people in a position um, of power. <laughs> if I can just pick up on the Theresa May thing, I think one of the interesting things about Theresa May, from a comedic point of view, is the sense that she's basically just riffing out an entire prime ministership. It's kind of improv <laughs> politics. So it just kind of happened, and no one was quite expecting it, and then you know everyone's just winging it. So there's, I think, some interesting angles to come out of out of that with. Um, with Corbyn, well, again, I, 
And I guess that the, what you might call the deeper satire is about what is happening to the whole of the left wing politically in Britain. I think there's elements where clearly it, it, the Labour Party should should have split, I think. Our electoral system set up to basically prevent democratic evolution. Because if they split, then they'd, it's not like they'd have... They'd have half, their, half the number yeah. of seats each. Yeah, yeah. So, um, again, you sort of, I think need to go beyond the the individual personalities to get to what they might you know what they represent or what they're revealing which i think i mean in, it, we have it's a very strange and very fluid politics that we have at the moment so i think the more interesting stuff is not necessarily you know just lampooning the individual yeah yeah because looking at politics small p yeah. politics and where people are on that that's that's the socio-political thing as well it's exactly that where you feel like the left is kind of i almost feel like it's disappearing yeah. Like there is no left. Yeah. They would rename that that film with Daniel Day Lewis, My Right Foot. <laughs> like just, just it, it's sort of disintegrate. There's no cohesion between what people are trying to um, achieve. I but think this is, but this is why Corbyn's interesting and great. I mean, he's great. He's great for satire for two reasons. But I mean, as an as an individual, he he's perfect. He has that that a massive disparity between the the outer image and the turmoil inside. You know, he 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 does not see himself how anybody else alive sees him <laughs> yeah, yeah. and so you can always get into get into that crack there but also he is a what comedy particularly in britain is not great at is mocking the left because most comedians are on the yeah, left yeah. in some way sort of and, and humor takes you to the left because you because you wish to mock institutions and you want to and there's a certain kind of power that's easier to take the piss out of, which tends to be to be found on the right. But there is an enormous amount of, you know, sort of piety and self-satisfaction and, and, and unthinking blindness on the left. And the wonderful thing about Corbyn is he absolutely is solidly there representing every <laughs> last bit of it, and so are the people around him. But he is like a sort of tedious 1980s left-wing comedian who's got no jokes but yes, he just exactly. believes in this sort of ideal yeah i mean the, the humorlessness of the left which is which is so funny when you can find it he just embodies it's brilliant the one thing because um, i'm conscious uh, we are running out of time i wanted to touch on whether there was a sort of political what is popular in politics whether that splits and hugo and i ha- have a shared view of mrs brown's boys <laughs> Which I just think is one of the worst things on television, <laughs> and yet there's all, there's this sort of school of thought that if you say that, then you're sort of metropolitan elite. You don't get it because it's the biggest I'm watch so thing at Christmas. Dis- and I'm disappointed you said one of. What? I'm wondering what else you're going to put there with it if it's only one of the worst things on television. Well, that's that's probably a whole new podcast <laughs> yeah. of what, what's worse than mm. Mrs. Bowser's Boys. So you're not you're. I know you're not a fan. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, uh, but is this is this a class thing? Is it a politi- political thing? People have said, you know, Mrs. Bowser's Boys is Brexit Britain. I think there is a little bit of classism in there. Personally, like the idea of like just dressing as a woman or femaleness being hilarious is a is a problem that we've had for years in in Britain. You know, like it's just the idea that a man puts a dress on is automatically hysterical. Uh, Doesn't isn't... work for me at my gigs too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, even when you put a bow in your hair. Yeah. Is, so... it, is it not funny because it's got uh, inbuilt? sort of I, I think there's part of it was it because it was something that I was funny 30, 40, 50 years ago I, I watched the film and I, I, I found a film yeah there was a film it was on at Christmas <laughs> and I I did I did enjoy there was parts of it I really really enjoyed there was parts of it where I was, right, I was like we're you out of this entire podcast well, no, yeah. <laughs> there, was, there was parts of it where I was like I'm not sure that's cool to have that kind of bit of there was like a karate teacher but like oh, where no. he was from was not yeah so I was like that but there was parts of it where I felt like it was sort of heartfelt sort of working class voice and I think 
because it's different to what I do, I don't want to just immediately decimate yeah. it and say that it doesn't have value because for a lot of people it does have value. Do screw them. It's awful. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's um, like, I mean, and it's and it's the problem. The problem with Mrs. Brown, boy, Mrs. Brown's boys is not that it's uh, is not that it's offensive, right? Borat's offensive, but hilarious. You know, and there's this there's this sort of there's this lie that gets told that that you can't be offensive in comedy anymore. That's rubbish. There's loads of really, really funny offensive comedy. Uh, my problem with Mrs. Brown's Boys, without being getting sort of too pious about it, is it's just, it's not inventive, it's not thoughtful, it just, it's mind-numbing. And you sort of think, you could just, everyone could just be watching something else that's better. Yes, well, I think when that could apply across not just comedy, but yeah. you know, a lot of um, telly. I mean, I've never, I've never actually seen it, so I, I can't really. But I think, I mean, the thing is, you can get accused of being a metropolitan elite by doing pretty much anything now, um, <laughs> from you know, breathing to you know, eating a sandwich. Having been to that there, London. Uh, yes. Stuff so, uh, but I mean, I mean, comedy is a very, it's a broad uh, art form. So I think there's room for. You know, if people like it, and loads of people like it. Yeah, like yeah. it's not, it's not just. And as we've found, and I think there's in politics, there's this whole argument going on at the moment about Brexit, and the Brexiteers say Remainers have just got to shut up. The Remainers saying just because you won doesn't mean I have to change my view. I can carry on having this view, and just because I don't like Mrs. Brown's boys per se, I think people who watch it are clearly mad but <laughs> that's up to them but I'm, not, I'm equally I'm not wrong for saying that I don't like it yeah, opinion yeah. is opinion and politics yeah. is essentially different strands of opinion just because um, Hugo touched on it slightly is there anything which you wouldn't touch in comedy in terms of subjects that you you that were either too offensive or too divisive or are there no no-go areas no I don't think there's no-go areas but uh, it's all about how you you treat the subject and what you're attempting to achieve with it so I don't think there are any areas that comedians should not address but uh, but you have to be aware that if you know some areas are more sensitive than others so uh, and you know, you'd have to be fairly idiotic not to be aware of that you know sometimes you might think right well I need to do this in a certain way because what I'm you know, this piece of material is not intended to offend. It's intended to, you know, make people laugh, make a point, whatever. But, yeah, if you're unaware that some people might take offence, then well, that's your own fault, really. But also, at the same time, I think, you know, sometimes you need to just... To, you need to accept that. You need to think, well, I'm going to do this because it's what I think, what I believe, what I think is funny. And if if people get offended by it, then, you know, you can accept that. Um, and as long as your your material is... If you, you've thought about it and you're, you, know, you know what you're trying to achieve with it, if people get offended by it, then that's just one of the inevitable byproducts of it. And does this does it change what you know the, what provokes offence? There's been a lot of debate about the sort of snowflake generation, that, particularly in universities, the idea of banning people that you don't agree with and all that sort of stuff. Is, is that something you're sort of conscious of, of Tiff, of what um, is and isn't acceptable? I, I try and think. I, I totally agree with what Andy says. I mean, it's either all on the table or none of it's on the table. I think like anything can be joked about. It's the right way. It's what your intent is behind it. I try and go when I go to sleep and I put my head down on the pillow at night. Do I feel okay about what I've put out into the world? Can it be you know? And 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 what my intention for it is. And there was a great interview with George Carlin once. It was on a, like a late night cable thing and. The interviewer said to him, oh, people describe you as a shock comic. Does that upset you? And he was like, no, you know, shock is just another form of surprise, which all comedy is based yeah, yeah. on. So I think I really like sometimes getting a, oh, I can't quite believe she said that. And then I'll go now. And then sometimes it's quite fun to unpack that reaction. Go, yeah, yeah. why were you so shocked? 
yeah. by what I just said there. And then you can unpick it. And I really, I like those those bits of comedy. I like going into those little corners that might be a little bit, you know, if you've got a dark corner, throwing some light mm. on it helps people to be able to talk about things that would normally, I mean, especially around the Bill Cosby thing, people were like, is this appropriate? And it's like, if you don't talk about it, that makes it much easier to sweep under the sweep carpet, under the carpet and, yeah, and, and cover up and have this conspiracy of silence around something really awful. So I think comedy is great for just blowing that away and uh, and getting people to engage with it. Now, obviously, there are situations that people might be more sensitive about. I also think it's life. There's stuff that I might be more sensitive <laughs> about, but also I am aware that that's my own, like you say, offence is very, very personal. And I think if you're, when you're talking about really sensitive things, you know, it, it's, it's how good a comedian you are. Yeah. You know, because a bad comedian or a new comedian would come in and talk about rape and make a joke like they're a rapist. Whereas yeah. another person would be doing, as long as like the victim is not the butt of the joke, yeah, yeah. So then that's, that's, that's yeah, yeah. where the angle is, you know. And so I think it's about knowing how yeah. to, it's, it's being a good comedian, really. Yeah. And in terms of the snowflake generation, every, everyone is a snowflake on all sides of the political spectrum, as far as I can work out. Well, Donald Trump's the most sensitive, <laughs> you know. So, um... Uh, Snowflakes to the left of me, snowflakes to the right of me. Um, I mean, and I think part of that is just the nature of the internet, that people, everything is, you know, heightened yeah. emotionally and politically. Sometimes you just need to and turn Twitter off and go... Absolutely. Yeah. I think we also need to sort of draw a bit of a line between where people get overly upset because someone's said something that's not quite right, yeah. that's not quite fully right on, and this is the problem in the left that you kind of go, okay, all right, well, it's not, you know, we just need to be able to discuss it and go, do you think maybe you could say something this way and, and not make it this kind of yeah, yeah. huge, just to be able to talk to each other and everyone makes mistakes and that's how we learn yeah. and that's how we grow. And also one of the problems from a comedic point of view is that, um, you know, a sentence from a comedy set taken out of context yeah. can look horribly offensive and intolerant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, when seen in the context, in the context of an entire routine, it's... The absolute opposite yeah, yeah. of what it might look like on paper. Well, I know in my um, doing distant past, when I was in a comedy group, there were lines that I uttered on stage, Edinburgh or whatever, which, if taken out of context now, would be yeah. people yeah. would be surprised. Uh, but anyway, that's a, that's an entirely uh, different story. Thank you so much. Um, we've got, I feel like we've covered um, quite a lot of ground there. Before we go, we've obviously got to get the compulsory plugs in. Tiff, uh, <laughs> first of all, what's the Twitter handle for Bridget Trump's diary? It's Bridget. Uh, it's at Bridget. Trump's D1. Very good. Uh, and at Tiff Stevenson is mine. And uh, your website, if you want to come and see you touring and things uh, like that? TiffStevenson.co.uk. And Andy? Yeah, uh, well, the bugle's back uh, away from the, the Times independently. So it's still going, but still, you know. Uh, yes, no going. John Oliver anymore because he's. He uh, if anything, it's better now, I think. Well, he's, I think, you know, aren't he's going, gone off wherever he's yeah, gone. Things aren't can... going too often. He's had to settle down <laughs> and get a regular nine to five. So, um, <laughs> and your so, website for people who come to see you live? Uh, that's andyzoltzman.co.uk and the bugle is thebuglepodcast.com. Very good. Uh, and uh, as ever, you can sign up to the Red Box. While, while we're on the subject of the plugs, you can sign up to my morning email briefing at thetimes.co.uk forward slash Red Box. And you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, where we'd love it if you left a review. Uh, but for out from uh, me, Andy, Tiff and Hugo. It's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk 
This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.